0: Hi everyone, welcome back to Firing Film and I am today returning to The List. So you may remember from the Little Shop of Horrors and Lost Boys episode that I've basically created a list, a list of films that for whatever reason I've not seen and for whatever reason people think I need to see and I'm trying to work through them this year. Admittedly, I'm not working through them as fast as I thought I would do, but This episode is another two films that have crossed off the list and there's going to be another one coming your way in a couple of weeks for another two films. So today I'm going to focus on Stand By Me and Super Dark Times. So I'm going to kick off with Stand By Me. Now, Stand By Me was released in 1986. I'm sure a lot of people know what it is. I'm sure a lot of people consider it to be a classic. It is a American coming of age film directed by Rob Reiner. It's based on the Stephen King novel, The Body, and its title derives from Ben E's song called Stand By Me. Uh, The film stars Will Wheaton, River Phoenix, Chloe Feldman and Jerry O'Connell as four boys who in 1959 go on a hike to find the dead body of a missing boy and confront a bully played by Keith Sutherland. The film was nominated for an Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay and two Golden Globes, one for Best Drama Motion Picture and one for Best Director. Before we get into what I think about the film, I'm going to play you the trailer for the film.
1: What is it, You You guys want to go see a dead body? (laughs) Jesus! (laughs) This is really a good time.
0: (gasps) You burned something on your neck.
1: Oh my God! I want to see a dead kid. Maybe it shouldn't be a party. I'm never gonna get out of this town, am I, run! Is, <laughs> is <sighs> think Mighty Mouse beat up Superman? What are you, cracked? I'll kill you! I swear to God.
0: I think there's been a bit of a reoccurring theme on the podcast that obviously again, like, you know, I've not seen films that everyone else has seen. and I've not seen films that people hold in quite high regard and that there are a lot of films that I think Holly said it quite well with something like home alone, where it depends on when you see it. And if you come to it after a certain point in your life, um, you don't have the same affinity for it as everybody else does. And I unfortunately think that that is the case for me in Stand By Me. I think that there are a lot of people who love it, Gemma being one of them, who absolutely loves it and adores it. Um, For me, I think it's absolutely fine of a film. There's there's like, it's not a bad film at all. But if I was to revisit or redo my top 10 80s films, it wouldn't fall into it. Like Lost Boys would fall into it, for example. Um, but to kind of go through some stuff and some stuff that I wrote down while I was watching the film. So again, it is it is this 80s aesthetic, which more to the time when the film was made and the production and all that kind of stuff is um, almost a bit more tangible, a bit more realistic of that 80s aesthetic. It's not something that's trying to replicate that like Stranger Things or the, the more recent It films try and do. And I wish I could bottle that aesthetic. and love it. I absolutely love when a film goes for that aesthetic. And it's something that, for whatever reason i just have a big affinity for and i you know i kind of want to fall back into it the simplicity of the relationship between the four boys is one of the key things in the film one of the things that i like the most it's definitely a celebration of childlike wonder uh, the fantasy and the creativity that comes with growing up there's a lot of boys being boys um scenes talking about girls that they like insulting each other's families which is something that I'm actually going to come back to in a little bit when I start talking about Super Dark Times. But the scenes that I actually got the most from were after Will Wheaton's character Gordy wakes up from a nightmare and he confides in River Phoenix's character of Chris. Um, and again, that scene kind of happens again later on when they both find the dead body. It's two scenes that manage to show the vulnerability of two young, two young boys um, at a very, again, young age. And if I'm honest, it's that kind of stuff that really solidifies the relationships that I have. And it's what separates the jovial friendships, but from the kind of meaningful, but also jovial friendships. And what I mean by that is my two best friends, Daniel and David, who I've grown up with are the two people who I can have this kind of guard lifting conversation with. And what I mean, by guard lifting is I have lots of friends, uh, my colleagues. I have great colleagues and I see them every single day of the week and we have lots of fun and lots of jokes and things like that but it's almost for lack of a better word on a bit of a superficial level it's on that level where you are going to see each other you're going to join each other's company the reason why you still work there is because of all these people but you don't really confide in them as much as you would confide in those people who have been through the tough times with you and you have known for an extremely long amount of time like my best friends Daniel and David I've had those conversations with them already they've had them with me we've poured our hearts out to each other they've poured their hearts out to me if there's any success to come from stand by me and i'm aware i'm saying this is a film that is now 30 odd years old it's that it manages to capture this balance of a close friendship on the one hand or in the in one split second we're insulting each other and then the next we're sharing our insecurities and that's what it's all about it manages to get that balance absolutely perfectly if if i'm honest and you know that's my kind of main takeaway from the film as i mentioned this does fall into the when you watched it category there's no denying that it's a good film i can admire it i don't necessarily have an affinity for it that somebody like a regular guest like Gemma would do um i've not seen it in that kind of time capsule when it was released or even at the age where arguably it would be relatable to me now I've just said a lot of things that I could relate to, which I think is successful, but I think more of it, if I was a kid, if I was 15 years old watching Stand By Me, I'd be like, oh yeah, this is Mint, this is the best film that I've ever seen. And I think there are a lot of people who, whose favourite film is Stand By Me because they saw it at that point and because they saw it at that age. I think what I'm trying to say nicely is that while I was a bit understa- underwhelmed by it, I can see and I can understand why it struck a chord with so many and why it means so much to so many people from a certain generation. And I think that certain generation is maybe people who were grown up in the 80s um, and maybe people who came to it again at the right time. But as a 31-year-old kind of watching this for the first time, again, I can go, that's fine. I like the relationships that happen in it. I like the balance that it does. It's not, again, for lack of a better word, superficial. They're not just insulting each other all the time. They're trying deb in and ebba at that core that core friendship that we all can kind of relate to um but i'm glad i watched it you know i'm glad it's one that i ticked off my list it's glad i'm on that it was I put on my list but i don't think it's creeping my way into my top 10 80s films or even my top 10 films of all time um but what i'm going to do before we get on to super dark times is i'm going to play you a clip from um stand by me just to kind of give this a little bit more context and then we'll talk super dark times
1: At the beginning of the school year, he had buried a quart jar of pennies underneath his house. He drew a treasure map so he could find them again. A week later, his mom cleaned out his room and threw away the map. Vern had been trying to find those pennies for nine months. Nine months, man. He didn't know whether to laugh or cry. Jesus Christ, Billy, we got to do something. Why? Who cares? We saw him. So? It ain't nothing to us. The kid's dead, so it ain't nothing to him neither. I mean, who gives a shit if they ever find him? I don't. What's that kid they're talking about on the radio? Brocker, or Brower, or Flowers, whatever his name is. The train must have hit him. Big fucking deal. We had all followed the Ray Brower story very closely because he was a kid our age. Three days before, he had gone out to pick blueberries, and nobody would seen him since. I think we should tell the cops. You don't go squawking to the cops after you boosted a car, you idiot. They're going to want to know how the hell we got way out on back Harlow Road. Now they know we don't got no car. It's best we just keep our mouth shut, and then they can't touch us. Look, we can we can make a nominous call. <sighs> they traced those calls, stupid. I seen that on Highway Patrol and on Dragnet. Yeah, right. I just wish we never boosted that goddamn Dodge. I wish Ace had been with us. Could have told the cops we was in his car. Well, he wasn't. Are going to tell him? We're not going to tell nobody. Nobody never. You take me? I know the back Harlow Road. It comes to a dead end by the Royal River. The train tracks are right there. Me and my dad used to fish for Cossies out there. Jesus Christ, man. If they would have known you were under there, they would have killed you. Could he have gotten all the way from Chamberlain to Harlow? That's really far.
0: Sure. He must have started walking on the train tracks and just followed them the whole way.
1: Yeah. Yeah, right. And then after dark, train must have come along and I'll smack go. Yeah. Hey. Hey, you guys. I bet you anything that if we find him, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure. We'll be heroes. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm going to move on to the film that I partnered Stand By Me with, and that was Super Dark Times. Now, when I came to partnering these films together, I think there were some that were... Almost obvious, like Little Shop of Horrors and Lost Buys just seem to kind of fit together in some weird way. Um, I've got trading places in Chinatown. I've I've still not watched Chinatown. I've seen trading places. Again, I think it was just because I bought them at the same time. But Stand By Me and Super Dark Times were two that I was aware of because of the aesthetic that they were trying to give off in the trailers. And I thought, actually, they'll put quite well together. And actually, narratively and thematically, they do pull quite well together. It's about a group of four boys, four young men who come together through their friendship and essentially stumble on something that they don't expect to happen. So Super Dark Times is, I would argue, a... Much lesser known film than Stand By Me. I don't think many people have heard of it. I watched it on the streaming service Shudder, which primarily focuses on horror films. And if you haven't signed up to Shudder, you can get a seven day free trial to it. Um, so you can catch this film if it sounds like it's something um, that is up your street. So it is a, so this is Super Dark Times. It's a 2017 American independent psychological thriller directed by Kevin Phillips. Starring Owen Campbell, Charlie Tahan and Elizabeth Cappuccino. Uh, It's Phillips' directorial debut. And to kind of set the tone, basically, after a traumatic incident, an inseparable pair of teenage boys and best friends lose their innocence from jealousy, violence and paranoia. Now, I'm going to play the trailer. Again, I don't think the trailer is going to give too much away. And when I come to share my thoughts on it, I'm going to try my best to dance around it a little bit because, again... It's not well known. I would like, like people to go and watch it based on what I say and whether or not you like it, and hopefully not give too much away and you can get the reveals yourself when you watch it. Guys, my parents
1: rented that movie, True Lies. Don't do it, don't do it. Oh. I watched that scene where she stripped over and over and over. Silver Surfer is the loneliest dude in the galaxy. I mean, the Punisher is pretty haunted. You have no idea what you're talking about.
0: Allison Bannister. Hi. Would you? I don't know. I like her. Yeah, I like her too.
1: He's got a thing for me. I like you, Zach. She's hot, like Charlie's sister. Shut up. Oh, my God. Yeah! Let me see that. Give it back. You want it? Come and get it. Stop! Stop! Carol Harper? I got a call from his mom, guess he never came home last night. Did you see him at school today? Are you okay? There's just a lot going on right now. Josh? We should go back. What? I don't know, but I just keep thinking of his mom. Don't go back I there. You need to listen to No, me. you need to listen to yourself. You're scared all the time. If anyone asks, we're not friends.
0: Superdark Time starts with a aftermath, well, the aftermath of a deer or some kind of moose having broken into the school and needing to be put down in the middle of the cafeteria, which sounds awful, sounds haunting, but perfectly sets the tone for the film. Kind of gives you exactly what it is that you need to know about the film. And this kind of core group of four boys, so you've got Owen Campbell, who plays Zach, Charlie Tahan who plays Josh, Max Talisman, who plays Daryl. Sawyer Bath, who plays Charlie. Now, Daryl and Charlie have lesser roles in the group. And there's ba- there's, there's basically... And again, this is me trying to dance around the pot, so I'm not giving too much away. There's a bit of a tragedy that befalls Daryl's character. And I think you kind of got that from the trailer. And what then happens is, Josh and Zach's characters, who clearly from the outset we understand our best friends and they've been best friends for a very very long time their relationship begins to crumble it begins to fall apart because of the actions of one of them and the film then does a really interesting thing where it delves deep into psyche it delves deep into teenage angst almost and it delves deep into this idea again from the blurb of jealousy of violence and of paranoia now To me, the film is definitely trying to replicate the aesthetic of Stand By Me. And it's really interesting that I've picked up on that and it's really interesting that I watched these films in the order that I did. That I didn't do *Super Dark Times first, that I did Stand By Me first, and I can clearly see the influence that has gone throughout this film. And it must have been an influence for the director, Kevin Phillips. There's a shot of a silhouetted bike ride that is straight out of Stand By Me. If you put... If you put that shot singular on its own, people would assume it's from Stand By Me. I say this a lot, and I say this a lot to my students. Boys are daft. And what I mean by that is, because the boy's reaction to that comment is always, but sir, you're a boy. Yeah, I know I am. And I know that when I was that age, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, I was daft. I was talking to my mates about comic books and films and girls and things like that. And the film spends an awful long time about the first 10 minutes demonstrating that this main quartet of boys are actually teenage boys. And what I mean by that is that we get 10 whole minutes of them swearing like it's a comma, like using the F word like a comma, comparing girls. They're going through a yearbook and they're comparing girls. They're eating stupid things. They buy like a dried squid from a garage. Um, they make the most crude comments and conversations to each other and about each other's families. If I'm honest, it gets a bit tedious because while Stand By Me does it in a certain way, there's a bit of affinity to it. There's a bit of variety to it. This is very much like, oh, look at us, we're lads. We're going to talk this way. Oh, look at us, we're boys. This is the conversation that boys does. And I think it successfully achieves that aesthetic. And I understood the kind of relationship within about three minutes but the film just keeps going and going and going and going and it becomes again a little bit tedious but then the narrative takes a turn with this aforementioned traumatic accident that happens to daryl and from there you then delve deeper and deeper and deeper now it becomes one of those films that on the one hand could be considered a slow burn on the other hand, could be considered a really interesting character study. There is a fantastic score which manages to evoke a mysterious feel. The score by Ben Frost manages to get across this idea that there is some kind of mystery to it, that there is some kind of almost not necessarily otherworldly, but some some other factors that are happening here—it's not just a straightforward reaction to an act to to something that's happened. It's more to do with the psyche. It's more to do with what's going on in the in the minds of our protagonists. Now, if I'm honest, it falls a little bit into self-indulgence because we end up with things like weird metaphorical visions, dreams supposedly alluding to this paranoia and the fear building in the minds of our protagonists. I don't know if the film necessarily needed that. I don't know if it would have just been more interested to see Josh's psyche go the way that it goes and to see how the relationship between these two people, these, these two core friends, um, unravel, basically. And that when you come to see Zach and Josh again, you know, Zach, Zach is trying to have the the kind of, solid head on his shoulders. He's trying to think everything through. He's trying to do the right thing. Josh very much goes off the rails. And again, I don't think I need a dream sequence where Zach's trying to chat up a girl and Josh is creeping in the background. I think I can get that. I understand that. Maybe it was just the fact that the film was trying to fill out a time, or maybe it was just the fact that the film was trying to think that that was the right way of doing things. But again, I think there's a lot more than it needs to be. It could have been a lot more restrained and held back interesting comparisons to make between these two films again if you were for whatever reason in the market for a double bill i would suggest it i would i would generally suggest that these two films make a very interesting double header if you go and watch stand by me and then straight afterwards go and watch super dark times it's almost like super dark times is the contemporary of stand by me whether you see that as a compliment or not is a total other thing but they, they were they were really interesting films to kind of consider together and put together in the way that i have done you may be aware that this is kind of kicking off a bit of a new season of firing on film so the next episode that you're going to hear is going to be another film files episode so the kind of first proper film files episode with two of my very good friends tybo ledson and carol from the SLTD Wrestling Podcast, which is a podcast that I have um, I often feature on. Um, and basically what we're going to do is we're going to do their film finals. We're going to see what they like about films and things like that. I'm going to come back with another list. And on that list, we're going to be looking at Teen Titans Go and The New Mutants. And then after that, we've got three bumper episodes leading us into December where Ollie and I discuss the three iterations that we've had so far of Spider-Man ready for Spider-Man No Way Home that is coming your way in December so we're going to talk through the Tobey Maguire films the Andrew Garfield films and the Tom Hollands that we've got up to that point point. and then hopefully I say this hopefully because it might not happen yet on December 20th Ollie and I are going to do a spoiler discussion of No Way Home I'm hoping by that point we've both seen it and to kind of cap off the year With what will be our 99th episode, I'm going to do a bit of an end of year awards because I think this is the first year for Farrington Film where we've had enough films that I've seen that have been released this year for me to kind of go, that was the best film of the year, that was the best performance of the year, Um, that was the best music and things like that. Um, And then in terms of episode 100, that's going to come your way in 2022 and I'm going to do a bit of a big build-up to it. I've already recorded it. It's already in the bag. I've got a very special guest for it, and I'm going to kind of build that up a little bit on our socials before we actually release it. So that's kind of what's coming up. We've got another film files, we've got another list, three franchise episodes talking about Spider-Man, hopefully a bit of a Spider-Man spoilery discussion. If not, there'll be something else that comes your way, and then end-of-year rewards before we move into 2022. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to sign off like I usually do, and then I'm going to leave you with a little bit of Benny King and some Stand By Me. So thank you very much for listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, at Film. I am individually on Twitter now, at Adam Farrand. You can go to our Facebook page and like us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash uh, forward slash Film. You can go over to our sponsor, Offworld Tees, and use the code Farrand. That's F-A-R-R-A-N-D for 15% off your order. Stay safe, look after each other, and I will see you next time.
1: When the night has come And the land is dark And the moon